Take your Bible tonight, please. Open to 1 John chapter 5. That was a real great duet. Yeah. Very, very true. His grace is sufficient. Wherever God takes you, the grace of God will keep you. That's how we know. We know, we know that if God gives us the 104 building, He's going to sustain us. All right. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 4. And I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet. It's just a, a short stand. And we'll um, read the scripture, have prayer, and then you may be seated. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Read it out loud with me now, please. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful promise, this revealing Word of God here. Please, we pray, you would increase our faith. Lord, faith not uh, in, in nothing, but faith in your promises, in your Word, so that we can read the Scripture and the Holy Spirit feels comfortable to reveal uh, deeper truths in the Word as we read and study. Lord, we're looking to be able to place our faith in your word so we can live by faith because without faith it's impossible to please you and you've told us in no uncertain terms, Old Testament, New Testament, the just shall live by faith. And we're so tempted to live by sight, aren't we, Lord? And we so often make this mistake. Please help us, Lord, and increase our faith tonight. For your honor and glory in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And so I'd like you to notice once again these words in verse number 4. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. That's the victory there, folks. It's a general principle that can be applied to a variety of Christian life situations. Because we find ourselves in a variety of Christian life situations. And this verse can come to our rescue. I believe that most every Christian wants to be victorious. I don't know of too many Christians who just want to be a failure, just want to be, you know, a, some, a doormat or something. I think that every Christian really wants deep down to be victorious in their lives for God. And I think also that every Christian really wants to be involved in something that's happening, something that's exciting, something worthwhile, something for the Lord, something that they can tell others about, like a testimony, like a witness. Uh, that they, they can use to help encourage others. Hey, look what God did in my life. God will do the same for you. Look what God did in our church. God will do the same for yours. Now, what I've just said is also the will of God for every Christian. Every Christian here. Um, God is wanting to give us victory. He will do it by faith. And this is my point here. The stories of God's miracles always come coupled with the faith of God's people. That's really what brings these great things to pass, is the faith, the faith of God's people. According to your faith, be it unto you. Um, those were words that the Lord brought home to my heart, to my wife's heart, many, many years ago when we were in the city of Ottawa, and we were really going through a meat grinder of a time. And we, all we could think of was impending disaster and doom and nothing good. And we'd sit up in bed at night, reading the scriptures, pouring over the scriptures, saying, Lord, there's got to be something here. Show us, teach us. And night after night, we did this. And in the process of doing that, we humbled ourselves before the Lord. And then um, God showed us 
this verse of scripture, according to your faith, be it unto you. And it changed our lives. Listen to me, back in the 1980s, my wife and I saw God do a small miracle for us. And God's done a lot of things for us, but this one, I'm going to classify it, if I'm allowed to do that, as one of his smaller miracles. We had a small little car that we were driving around in, but we knew that we needed a larger vehicle in order to transport more people, to do more things for the Lord. So one day in springtime, we were driving past a car dealership on Bank Street. That's the main drag in Ottawa. Just like King George is the main drag here. Bank Street was the main drag. And there was this dealership and they had this beautiful Toyota passenger van for sale. And it was a real honey to look at. And my wife and I both saw this. Wow, wow, did you see that? That looks so good. But of course, their asking price is beyond what our, our physical human lives are even worth. And so being people of very small means, what we did was we went to God and we started praying for it. And we said, Lord, please, 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 could we have that van? That looks like the van we want. Oh, Lord, it, it really, oh, if we could have that, we would, uh, oh, we'd never ask you for another thing in the world. Have you ever done that? You ever prayed like that? Crazy, silly prayers like that? Well, we prayed earnestly, Lord, please at least keep it for us until we can somehow afford to buy it. Would you do that? And every day we drive by it. Listen to this. This was in the springtime. Week after week after week, we drove past that car dealership and that Toyota van sat there. Other cars came and went. That Toyota van sat there. And we'd look at each other. Praise God. It's not sold yet. It's still there. You see that? Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. And so we prayed and prayed all through the summer months. And then came the fall. And that van was still there. And uh, a church in um, Niagara Falls was hosting a ladies meeting. And so we had a few of our ladies that wanted to go. And so we had the brilliant idea, let's rent a Toyota van, just like that one. And then we can drive it down and drive it back and see what it's like. And we thought it was a great idea. And so we went to one of these uh, rental places and we, we got a van just like that. And we loaded all our stuff up in there. And uh, I was a driver, drove down the highways and byways and everything, get to the ladies meeting. And uh, then we drove all the way back. By the time we got back to Ottawa, we knew for sure that that was not the van we wanted. That thing, it just didn't feel right. The wheelbase was so short that it bumped like this over every little bump. And so we went to the Lord and we told him, Lord, I guess we made a mistake. You know, sorry, Lord, but that, we don't want that van. And I'm not, I'm not making this up. I'm not telling you a lie. Within a week, the van was gone. It was sold. It was gone. But what it did was it increased our faith. And it taught us the power of prayer. It taught us that there is a God of miracles. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our what? Faith. Even our faith. Very important. Say those words with me. This is the victory. And finish the sentence. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now I may ask you to say those words with me a few times here tonight, because it's so important. Um, again, in the 1980s, 
our church wanted to put up a building. We'd been in rented, you know, this, that, and the other thing. We wanted to put up a building. It was really on our heart to do that. But as usual, our church had very little money. We, had, we were a church of maybe 40 people. That's all we were. Imagine that. And we wanted to put up a building. And we had very little money. And so we prayed. That's all you can do, folks. When you got nothing, when you got something, you reach into your something. But when you got nothing, then you reach up to God's, you know, riches and storehouse. And so we prayed. Now, understand that the costs of building were different back in the 1980s than they are today. Boy, the costs of building are sky high, aren't they? It was way cheaper to build back then. But then again, salaries were way less back then as well. Um, well, I remember that in the 70s, anyhow, if you were making $1,000 a month, you were making a pretty decent salary. $1,000 a month. Try that today. 1000 bucks a month as a salary. Try and feed your family, put a roof over your head, gas in your tank, clothes on the back, food on the table, all for $1,000 a month. So costs were a little different back in the 1980s, but we prayed and we managed to raise $75,000, which in today's money would probably be about 160 some odd thousand dollars today. Now, um, out of that 75, we were able to raise $51,000 cash. In answer to our prayers, donations came in and we, were, we raised $51,000 cash and we financed 24000 out of that 24000 15 of it was a bank loan. Now, you go to the bank now for a loan, and what do they want? They want to have all your financial records. They want to have a pound of your flesh and two liters of your blood. They want your left arm. They want you to sign over your children and any future earnings you'll ever make for the rest of your life. And then, and based on all of this, they say, okay, we'll have mercy on you, and they grant you the money. Now, I'm, I know I'm beating up the banks. I shouldn't. Hooray for the banks. They're good. But uh, listen to this. I walked into the bank. I think it was the Bank of Nova Scotia. I walked into the bank, and I said, can I speak to the loan manager? Oh, yes, mayor. here he is here. And he was a very pleasant fellow. Shook my hand. I introduced myself, sat down in his office. And um, about an hour later, less than an hour later, he gave me a loan for $15,000, no security deposit, no co-signers. Uh, and he said, well, you're a church, you're a man of God, we believe you. And he shook my hand and he authorized a $15,000 loan. Can you believe that? You think that would happen again today? Well, wherever that bank manager is, we need to find that guy. So I walked out with $15,000. I was clicking my heels. So we raised $75,000. And um, we did the construction ourselves, which I will never do again in my life. <laughs> that almost killed me. Uh, but we saved a ton of money. And we put up a 3,500 square foot building. And we were only a little church of 40 people. You say, how did you do it? That's awesome. How did you do it? Well, it is awesome because we have an awesome God who loves to show himself strong on behalf of people who will trust him. Now read those words again with me out of verse 4. Here we go. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. That's how it happened, folks, was by faith. Let me tell you something that happened back in the 1990s. 
My wife and I felt we wanted to buy our first house. We'd been renting for all those years. We got married in 81, and it was uh, in the early 90s now, and we wanted to uh, buy a house. I think it was 1993 we wanted to buy our first house, and we found one. It was a run-down little house, but it was out in the country, and it had two acres of property uh, just outside the city in the country. And um, we prayed. We prayed so much for that. We looked at it, went on a little tour of it, and it was a bit ramshackled. It needed some, they, they like to say TLC, tender loving care. Well, I could think of a few other adjectives, you know, that TLC might stand for, but it needed help, desperate help, life support or something. But um, our income was very small, but you see, that's no problem for an almighty God, is it? And we went to God and we prayed. And we prayed and we prayed and the Lord allowed us to buy that house and we enjoyed that home for the next six years until God moved us out here to Surrey in 1999. Now, you say, well, what's so strange about that? Well, here's the strange thing. And to this day, I do not understand it. My wife, who is uh, very um, financially gifted, her father was an accountant and she learned a lot of accounting skills and things off her dad. Um, she's learned a lot over the years, my wife has. And the strange thing about the purchase of that house was the financial picture. And I'll tell you again, to this day, we're not sure how God did it. But our income for that year was minus $6,000. <clears> and yet God allowed us to buy a house. I don't know how God did that. But I'm not complaining. Because God did another miracle. Because God loves to show himself strong on behalf of those who will trust in him. Say the words again with me, please. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now we learn that sometimes God will answer prayers even before we ask. And we learned that with that house. I'll tell you. When the day came for us to move from Ontario to Surrey, we sold our house and we were planning to move um, in the last week of May, but the new owners were not able to take over the house until the last week of June. And so the house was going to stand empty for about a month. Now that's not so good because in that month, anything can happen. It could burn down or it could get robbed or who knows, and we could have been on the hook. Uh, that's just the way it was. Um, a week before we left, one week before we left town, all of a sudden, the basement started taking on water. And we thought, what? And it, it, start, it wasn't a drip. It started pouring in from the far end of the basement. Now, out here when you say basement, you're talking about a, a, on base level, ground level. We call that the basement out here. That's not a basement out east. A basement means underground where you have to look up and look through the window to see the weeds on, the, on your back lawn. That's the basement, down underground. And that's where it started leaking water. And uh, it started pouring in. It was gushing in the back. And I couldn't understand it. I thought, what? What's going on? And so um, I called to my wife, come quick, get buckets. And we started getting a few buckets. And I told her, like, you know, in, in the, the Old Testament there, uh, borrow vessels, not a few. Get some buckets, not a few. And we would fill these buckets. And our children were small. Um, 
Becky and Jonathan were older. David was just a little, little bit of a, twerp, a little bit of a guy, and he he helped a little bit. But it was the other two that were lugging these things. You know how much water weighs? Ten pounds a gallon. And so we were giving, you know, two and a half gallons to one, four gallons to another. That's forty pounds for a kid to carry upstairs and empty. Oh, don't worry, son. You can do it. <laughs> sure, Dad. And up and down, up and down. We called the insurance. And we said, I don't know what's happening here, but we, we're desperate for help. We called our, our insurance. And they said, we'll be right over. But it took them a little time. And in between the time <clears throat> that we started bucketing till the time they come, we bucketed hundreds of gallons of water out of our basement. And I haven't a clue where this water could come from. I was thinking of an artesian well. If you've ever seen the story of the, of the, um, the Beverly Hillbillies and Jed Clampett when he fired his gun and up from the ground came a bubble and crude and, and I thought we, there's some water, some artesian well has sprung loose or something. What else could it be? We're out in the middle of a cornfield here. You know, where's the water coming from? And so the trucks came and the professionals all came in with their big heavy equipment and they got their pumps going and got fans going and uh, we could sit back and we were absolutely exhausted, dripping in sweat. And uh, they're, they're looking at it and they're saying, hmm, I wonder where that water's coming from. And they, they said, do you have any idea? I don't have a clue. I'm innocent this time. I didn't do anything. It's just all of a sudden it started. And uh, well, do you know anything, anything about the history of this house? And I said, the only thing I know is that years ago, before I ever bought it, this house and that house way over there, and I pointed to it, used to share a well. But something happened. The family split up, whatever. That house was sold. They dug their own well. They closed this thing off. They got their own separate system. That's the only thing I know. So they said, why don't you go over and knock on their door and ask them if anything's happened recently? And I thought, well, that's dumb, but I'll do it. So I walked out down the driveway, down the road, up their driveway, knocked on the door. I said, this is going to sound silly, but have you ever had any plumbing problem or plumbing done recently? Yes. How did you know? They said. <laughs> I said, what? What happened? Well, we've had a pl pl plumbing problem here. And the, uh, the landlord, because they were just the tenants, the landlord called in his brother-in-law to, uh, to fix the problem. And he, uh, he fixed it all up for us. Um, I said, well, can you tell me any more? Well, I don't know. He turned the valves off. He did whatever. And he turned the valves on. We got our water again. And I thought, oh, okay. So long story short, because sometimes I like to tell the details, but long story short is uh, the so-called plumber came in and did whatever he did. And he opened every valve he could find. And there was one valve that was years and years old that had the shutoff to that well pump business that went into our home. And guess what happened? This plumber, so-called plumber, opens this valve and a hundred gallons an hour starts pouring into our basement. Well, because we got the, you know, the bucket brigade going right away with the kids and all that, there was no damage to our house. It didn't, you know, hit the drywall and run up the drywall like water usually does. We were able to contain it all. And so that fixed the problem. We now know what caused it. The insurance, uh, the next day, they're looking at it all and they said, well, tell you what, because you did what you did, 
we'll give you $3,500 for your troubles. I started to smile. I said, really? They said, yeah, we'll do that because what you did saved us from having to rip out drywall and, and redo all this stuff. And so we'll give you $3,500, which to them is peanuts. By the way, $3,500 in 1993 was approximately over $5,000 today. And so, all right, we took it. But we knew that there was no mistakes. Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. And boy, this had to qualify. So we kept that money and just wondering what God was going to do with it. Well, here's what happened. A few days later, we loaded up the moving truck and everything, and we made the cross-country trek out here to Surrey. We got here on a Tuesday, by the way. It was a June the 1st. And we got here on a Tuesday. And... Uh, the money that was supposed to be waiting for us here to pay the moving truck never came. And the movers said, we're not unloading your furniture without being paid. Guess how much the bill was? $3,500. So we looked at each other and we thought, well, God knew in advance. And so he allowed this little disaster so he could give us the money to pay the moving truck. And that's how the whites came to Surrey. That's how we were able to unload all of our earthly goods into our new house. You see, God, sometimes he answers prayer before you ask. You see, it's by faith, really, is what it is. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. That's why it's so important that you and I live by faith. You have to have some stories in your life that you can tell others of what God has done to help substantiate why it is you trust this unseen God. People have to see that. They have to know that. I'm telling you here and now that God is a God of miracles and God knows how to show himself mighty. Now turn back again, please, to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. I want to just show it to you one last time. Boy, I love this verse. Ephesians 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do, say it now with me, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Wow, that's the great promise. The God of miracles. God wants to be glorified. And look at it, if you look at it carefully, sort of start kind of at the end of the promise, God is able to do according to, let's say, what we ask or think. Of course he's able to do according to what we ask or think. But it's more than that. It's above what we can ask or think. Can you see that in verse 20? Yes? It's above, but it's not only above, it's abundantly above anything you can ask or think. And it doesn't stop there. It says exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. That's the kind of God we have. God lives in such a powerful, unbelievable realm. We're like little earthworms down here. God is so incredibly powerful and wants to show his power to the world. And verse 21 says it's to be done through the church. Unto him be glory 
in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. God really does want to do miracles. He's a God of miracles and loves to show himself strong and powerful. Does God really do miracles? Just read the Bible and find out. Do you know how many miracles there are in the Bible? And don't say a million. Maybe there are. I don't know. I found a website. I don't know. I've never counted them. But I, I looked it up on Google. And I said, how many miracles are there in the Bible? And several websites say, well, there's no way of knowing. And there's a lot of them. And some says, well, we don't know, but there's this many miracles recorded in the Gospels. But I want to know how many miracles. That would be a good job for someone here to go through the Bible, your Bible reading, some of your Bible readers, and start putting a little mark or something every time there's a miracle or put a reference and see how many miracles. Because I found a website that said there are at least 150 recorded miracles. 150 recorded miracles. Why do you say recorded miracles? Because say in the Gospels, there's times where Jesus did, it says, many miracles. So we don't know the number. But this one website recorded 150. I have the, the website later if you want to see it. But these miracles are normally through the faith of his people. They're normally done through the faith. Now, not always, but they're normally done. Now, listen, God meant Israel to be a witness of his glory to the world. That was one of the main purposes of Israel. God raised up a whole nation so that he could show himself to the whole world through Israel, through the Jewish people. That was the plan. God wanted to show his strength and his ability and his saving power. That's what he wanted to do. Now, the Jews had been around about 400 years, mostly in Egypt, but that in itself wasn't a witness to anyone. You remember when they spent those years in Egypt? That didn't witness. That, that didn't wash. They, yeah, sure, they were there. People knew about them, but that's all they knew. It was only when God showed his mighty power to the Gentiles that, uh, uh, mighty power, actually, that the Gentiles started speaking about God, when God showed his mighty power. It was after the plagues, it was after the Red Sea, it was after the miracles in the wilderness that the Canaanites started to, uh, to talk and say, wow, this God of the Jews, this God of the Hebrews, this God of Israel is a God to be contended. Wow, the, the God of the Jewish people. In Exodus 14, 13, it says, Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. And boom, God opened the Red Sea. God opened the Red Sea. But the Jews still doubted. Even in the wilderness, after they'd walked through on dry ground through the Red Sea in the wilderness, some of the Jews still doubted God's mighty power. We know that because in Psalm 78, it says, Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And he did. How long? Anybody know? Forty years he furnished a table in the wilderness. How about that? Is God able? He is. He did. And he did that and many other miracles for, for them. Now listen. What happened? Because all those miracles. They crossed over Jordan into, into the promised land. What was the first city, the first town, the first city that they were to take over? What was the name of it? Jericho. The Jerichoites heard all the stories of the mighty power of God. And guess who got saved out of Jericho? Who was it? 
Rahab and her family. They had faith too. That whole family got saved because they heard about the mighty God of Israel, the power and miracles that God did. There are people that will be positively affected. You see, that's why when the town drunk gets saved and changed by the power of God, his testimony is a witness that people cannot refute. Why, look at him. Look at him now. What happened to him? Something happened to him. What happened to him? The power of God got into his life. He got saved. I'll bet you that some of you here tonight have got stories like that. And you could tell us before you got saved what a creep you were. What a drunk. How you were going on your way to hell and taking everyone with you you could. And then you met Jesus. And he changed your life. I'll bet you that we got people here tonight. I myself was on my way to becoming a hopeless alcoholic when in 1975 I got saved. Oh, he just got religion. Ah, give him a few months. He'll get over it. Ah, listen. It's been 44 and a half years. I'm just getting started. Oh, it's good to know the Lord. God has changed my life. And I'm so thankful. I am. Grace Baptist Church is supposed to be a witness to the city of Surrey. But listen to me carefully. Our church services, as fun, as glorious as they are, they don't witness to Surrey. What we do here in this room, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, we sing the great hymns, we have great special music, the greatest choir in town, I think. We've got great musicians and great people, great staff. We've great facilities. How many people in Surrey are getting saved because of that? How many people in Surrey, when we knock on, on their door, they say, oh, you're the church with the great choir. You're the church with the great singing. You're the church. They don't know us from a hole in the ground. Our Sunday services don't witness to 600,000 people. Isn't that right? It's like our little candle is under a bushel. Our soul winners, as wonderful and as blessed as they are, and they are, are, they can only make a small dent in 600,000 people. That's all. Look at the statistics. So far this year, we've knocked on 4,053 doors. I estimate that there's well over 100,000 doors in this city, and 600,000 people live behind those 100,000 doors. 4,000 doors. Maybe we'll make it to 5,000 by December 31st. We can only make a tiny dent in the entire city. How are we going to reach 600,000 people? That's our job, is to reach the city. You say, well, it's impossible. We can't do it. It's too big. And you know what? I agree with you. I do. 100%. You got my vote. But, but God is bigger. And God has the power to reach that city. This city needs to see the mighty power of God in the church. This city needs to see something exceeding, abundantly, above all we could ask or think is happening in Grace Baptist Church. That's what the city needs to see. So, if you kind of follow the logic here, I think the miracle of 104 
building, 104 Avenue building, will get the intention of the entire city. If God gives us that building, I believe within a week, word will spread like wildfire. Maybe it'll take two weeks, but the entire city's going to know. It is going to make headline news that for the first time in 20 years, the building now has, is, the, is in the ownership of a church. And they say that in another year or two, it'll be rented out and all these things will happen. That makes news, folks. On top of that, if God gives us the building, we'll make sure the city knows. We'll take out a full-page ad. We'll make sure that the city knows. We will publish the news of that across Canada. We can do that easily on the internet. We'll let every independent Baptist church across Canada know what God has done. That'll encourage God's people. Over in Saskatchewan, we were at a church, uh, Pastor Devin and I, last year. This is a magnificent church structure. Huge. The whole town knew about it. And the pastor, Pastor Webster, wanted to, and his church wanted to buy this building. They bought it for $1. $1. But it had problems. Experts had been brought in and they estimated the cost of fixing the roof was hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was a glorious old structure. Ho, ho, ho. Wonderful thing. And all of the, the real experts came in. Yeah, it's going to cost hundreds of thousands. These are engineers. And finally, just out of one of the Lord's funny coincidences, a man of God came in and looked at it and said, you know, I got a friend who might have an idea. You want him to come in and take a look at it? Sure, may as well. Bring him in. And so the guy came in, he looked at it, and he came up with a creative idea. And I think it was done. Well, do you remember how much it cost him, Pastor Devian? Was it 10000 bucks? Something like that. And it was an idea that no one else thought of. And it was structurally sound. And when the engineers, they bounced the idea off the engineers, the engineers said, he's right, he's right, that'll work, that'll work. They bought the building for $1, and then for basically pennies, a few more dollars, they got the whole thing fixed up. It was structurally sound, people were allowed to meet in it, because they thought that roof could collapse. And if they think your roof is going to collapse, they don't want you meeting in there. Make sense? You see the power of God. The experts of the world were condemning the building. But God said, mm, I think I can do something with that. And Pastor Webster and his church got the attention of the entire city. And they've got a thriving ministry to those people. Now, their, their city is much smaller than our city. But we may need a bigger miracle. I don't know. But I do believe that building up there will get everyone's attention very quickly. Now, this may be my opinion only. People will greet our soul winners as they go door to door. And people will say, oh, you're the church that bought that, that building on 104? You're the ones? And our soul winners will say, yeah, that's us. And we're going to get so many open doors. We really will. And I believe that uh, when God puts us in that building, we will grow at least another hundred people within our first year. Now, our attendance now seems to be between 200, 250. Our attendance will become 300 to 350 within the first year. And I believe good people too. I believe there's a lot of good people looking for a church similar to this. Boy, I think we're also going to get, now this may sound like strong language, but thousands of visitors. 
people, maybe curiosity seekers that are going to come and they're going to want to see this miracle, what God has done. We're going to get so many opportunities to witness. It's going to really get the attention of the entire city. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Quickly, and I'm done. Did you know that when Moses finally came back to Egypt when he was 80 years old, did you know that some of the Jews didn't like it? Did you know that? When Moses showed up in town after being away for 40 years, he's now 80, and he shows up in town and says, uh, boys, pack your bags, we're leaving. Some of the Jews didn't like it. They'd been there, their families had been there for generations. They'd grown up in Egypt. Yeah, they were in the slave trade. Yeah, I understand that. Their backs were breaking under the heavy load, but it was home. And some of the Jews didn't like it. Um, Why ruin a good thing by taking chances and leaving Egypt? And the answer is because getting out of Egypt was better than staying there. That's why. After 1,400 years of being in the promised land, because the Jews ended up in the promised land, and I know there was problems, but they were there 1,400 years later under the laws of Moses, and Jesus came to town. Now Jesus comes to town and many of the Jews don't like it. We got a good thing going here. We got a comfortable life under Moses' law. Why ruin it by introducing a new covenant? And the answer is because the new covenant is better than the old covenant. If you've ever read the book of Hebrews, you know that's what it says. Well, here we are, Grace Baptist Church, and we're in this old building here. We've been here over eight years. We've been here. We got a good thing going here. Why chance ruining things by moving out of this building? And the answer is because the 104 building is so much better. You know, after we walk through the 104 building next Sunday, we're going to have a meeting Sunday night and we're going to get to talk all about it. And um, in confidence and in, um, uh, oh, the word escapes me, but uh, assurance, we'll be able to, to share what we think. And there will be pros and there will be cons. And let me tell you, the first con, the first con about the building, and if you haven't experienced it, you will experience it. You're going to get into that building, and very quickly, as we start going through the tour, you're going to think, what are we doing here? This is so big. This building is so huge. Pastor Tim, that was my first reaction as well as yours. Pastor Tim shared that with me, that uh, his first thought was, what are we doing here? Well, little did he know, he's just finding out now, I had the same thought the very first time we walked through that building. And the the realtor's taking us through, and I'm thinking, it's so big. It's it's big. And the way, uh, the only way I could describe it was big. So you're going to probably experience that. And you're going to think, oh, what are we doing here? But you know what? The promised land was big too. And I wonder if the, if the Jews thought that, if any of them thought that. Yeah, I'll tell you something. There are some people in our church, I'm sure of it, I don't know who, I'm just sort of saying this because I, I think that it's correct. There are some people in our church that are just going to vote yes. They're just going to say, man, this is it. Let's go for it. This is great. You know, hey, the bigger the better. Let's, let's do it. There are going to be those 
who are going to vote no. And they're going to say, no, no, I like it here. That's too big. This fits good. No, no. And I'll tell you, a no is as good as a yes. Now that may not sound, you know, like it makes sense, but it really does. I want you to really pray before God. And if you honestly before God believe that that is not the place, that that is not where God would have us be, I want you to vote no. I want you to put a big no on your vote paper and proudly hand it in. If you believe that that's where God would have us, then by faith I want you to vote yes and hand it in. All I want to know is what God wants us to do. No's are just as good as yeses. You say, well, what happens if the vote turns out to be yes? What about those no's? What happens if the vote turns out to be no? What about those yeses? Folks, this is not a political game. It's not like the, the uh, federal elections that are going on right now where you've got, you know, a couple of parties vying for power and one is going to be the winner and the others are the losers. That's not what the church is. The church is the living body of Christ. We're, we're a family. We are one. And I'll tell you, a, a yes and a no are both equally good. Supposing it turns out to be a no. Well, what happens? Then do all of the yeses leave the church? No. Here's what happens. We all say, if God closed that door, it's for a reason. God has something better for us. That's what we say. You say, well, what happens if it's a yes? Do all the noes leave the church? No. Because they say, well, we get to go along for the ride. You know, if there's a blessing, we'll, we'll, be, we'll, we'll get the benefit from it. Both should be done by faith. I've got to tell you this cute story. When Pastor uh, Evangelist Dan Knickerbocker was here, he used to be a pastor many, many years ago in New York City. His church got ready to vote to buy a building. So they all did, you know, the walkthrough and the prayer and the fasting and the vote. And here's what happened. 99 voted yes and one voted no. And so the majority, and so they, they bought the building and in they went. Later on, one of the men was in there with uh, Pastor Knickerbocker. That was, he was pastor at that time. And they were working on something in the building. And the man said to, uh, to Brother Knickerbocker, Pastor, um, do you know who it was that, uh, that voted no? Because they had to announce the results. 99-4, one against. And Pastor Knickerbocker says, no, I, I don't know. The man said, it was me. And Brother Knickerbocker said, it was you. And the man said, yeah, it was me. Do you know why I voted no? And Brother Knickerbocker says, no, I don't know why. And the man said, well, I just wanted to be able to say, I told you so. That was his reason for voting no. Because he wanted to be able to say, I told you so. So that should never be anyone's reason for voting no. Amen? You vote no if you believe that that's not where God would have us be. But the only, 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 only negative, if you will, about that building that I can possibly think of is this. Where are we going to get the money? Where will the money come from? That's the only possible reason. I don't know if I should tell you this. 
but I nearly got Mueller's chair. Do you want to hear this? Do you know George Mueller? The great, 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 great man of faith. I mean, well, he'd pray for something, he'd get it. Now, you know this story. I've told you this story. He and his wife, they were old. They were actually in Quebec, which is where Pastor Devin and I are going early tomorrow morning. We need your prayers. We're going there for a pastor's conference. We'll be back on Wednesday. Um, Brother Mueller and his wife were in Quebec, ready to board a steamer to come back to England. He lived in Bristol, England. And his wife really had trouble with the sea voyage. And she needed a special chair that would comfort her. And they had bought one in the city of New York. And it was supposed to be shipped to the, to the port of departure there in time to get on the ship. Well, you know, the, the time was fleeting and the ship was soon to take off. Now, another famous pastor was there with Mueller at the time. And he's the one who wrote this story. And so he said to uh, Mr. Mueller, he said, listen, there's, you know, right here, there's a, a little town. We could buy your wife a chair. And, he, and Mueller said, no, brother. He said, Mrs. Mueller and I have prayed about it. And God will send the chair. We'll wait on the Lord. And this man thought, uh, Mueller's taken his faith too far. It's not going to happen. There's no way that any shipment will get here. And so he just kind of shrugged his shoulders. <coughs> A couple of minutes before they pulled up the gangplank and the ship left, uh, a large uh, carriage, horse-drawn carriage, came in, you know, with the whip, you know, and they get out of the way. And they, they brought in Mueller's chair for his wife right the last second before the ship left. This is documented truth. And they brought that up. And the pastor who recorded the story was dumbfounded. He was dumbfounded. If you know nothing about the life of Mueller, you need to read Mueller's autobiography. You need to read up on George Mueller. Now that's Mueller's chair. I nearly had Mueller's chair. I was so close, but my faith failed me. Here's what happened. We're going to this conference tomorrow morning. And I purchased a quantity of books to give to the pastors. They were supposed to come in last week. No, the week before last. But there was a mix-up. They went to the wrong address. They got shipped back to the, the sender. Ah! So we called them up again. Ship another quantity. They were supposed to be here this past week. They were shipped out Monday. They didn't come Tuesday. They didn't come Wednesday. They didn't come Thursday. And I thought, okay, well, they're still Friday. You know, they didn't come Friday. We called, got the tracking number. The U.S. Post, they were sent the slow snail mail. U.S. Post. And they said that they're expected to arrive in the States in Blaine Monday. Monday? I'm going to be in Quebec Monday. And so I thought, well, I guess we lost this one. So I made other arrangements. And um, then yesterday, my wife called me and said, the books are in. What? <laughs> the books came in. They're not supposed to be until Monday. God brought the books in. We had prayed and asked God to bring them in for before we, we left. I was this close to Mueller's chair. Man, I would have had a story to tell. 
We sweated bullets right to the end, but God came through for us. And there were the books. Just like, you know, promise, God's word, here you are. I don't have that story now. I missed it by that much. Would you come on the invitation tonight and ask God to increase your faith? Would you do that? Would you do that with God tonight? Would you ask God to increase your faith? Not just for that building, but for your home, for your life, for your school, for your work, for your witness and testimony, for the reading of Scripture. Would you ask God to, con- to, to convict you on this and to strengthen you and increase your faith? Would you do that tonight on the invitation? Stand with me for prayer.